welcome to the third episode of Between the Laughs, a new podcast available via iTunes or for hipsters via vinyl mail order. I'm Rob Cowan, and once again, I'm joined by Sarah Moore and Paul Brunger. Together, we will be analysing a comedy until all of the joy is gone. This week's nomination is from Paul. Paul, what comedy have you chosen? So I have nominated uh, the smash hit multi-series American uh, sitcom It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia on the basis that I hadn't really seen it. I'd heard people go on about it and I've already got Netflix so there was no incremental cost to me watching it. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so so this was the first time you'd seen it? Yes. Um, all, all I knew was that uh, Danny DeVito was in it and in one of the adverts they wear yellow Max or something. So that I was working from a very low baseline. <laughs> so I've, I've I've been watching this for years. I'd be fascinated to think to hear what you what your first impressions were. Well, yeah. So it, I mean, it is interesting because these kind of very much are first impressions. So I have gotten through the first series, which was the the homework I think for this this episode was the first series and the start of the the Devan, the Danny DeVito era. So I am not even uh, two series in. So it might be one that we we revisit in future. Um, I thought it was kind of fine um i so for people who've not seen it i understand that vaguely the idea is that it's almost uh to to use a cliche seinfeld on crack in that you've got four characters who um only really seem to hang out with with each other and they're all kind of quite self-centered bad people uh except in this probably more so than they are in in Seinfeld, uh, and and these characters happen to run a bar, uh, is is the thing that they they do. So my my take was it was it was, yeah, it was kind of fine that there's some funny things in there, but I kind of struggled because because they are all of these kind of super self centered people. I didn't really like uh, them that much, uh, and I especially struggled because as. As per previous episodes, I struggle to tell one person from another, uh, and the three guys in in the gang of four main characters, I very much struggle to to name any of them or, or tell the difference. I I don't think I could name them now if yeah. uh, if you asked me to name them. I um, I, I, I totally recognise that. Yeah, it's, yeah. Um, the three, three. Danny similar... DeVito looks different, and so that's good. <laughs> three very similar look. Well, two certainly very similar looking men plus Charlie. Um, I, I completely agree. I think the first season is a fairly slow start. It's, it's good enough to keep you watching, but it, as a season, it really improves, certainly when Danny DeVito appears. But I think we're now into about season eight or nine, and it, they, they're going very strong. They're playing with new ideas. There was a musical episode in one of the more recent seasons. Um, I, I, think, I think you're absolutely right about the, the characters not really defining themselves very clearly at the start. You know what is the difference between Dennis, Mac, and Charlie? Which, by the way, Paul are the names of the characters. Um, I, I, when when you said Charlie, I was then able to think Dennis, uh, and I still didn't know that there was one called Mac. Yeah, and and, and then Mac, D is the fourth one. To be honest, Mac doesn't really develop a, a distinctive character of his own until they decide to make him gay. Spoiler alert! In the later seasons, based on the first series plus one episode, I was like, okay, here are three people who are dude bros. Uh, and I don't really... They're kind of fine, but I don't really like any of them. Yeah. I mean, I think I 
I think I liked it a bit more than that. Um, I I could appreciate what they were trying to do with the kind of outrageousness of it, like the first episode in particular when they were kind of playing with with racism, um, and yeah. you know, and kind of although they're not at all likable characters, they do have certain or an understanding around the boundaries um, of acceptable behaviour. Um, and overstepped them quite a lot um, and I thought you know some of that was quite funny um, I much much preferred it when Danny DeVito started um, and I thought that episode was really uh, pretty good actually um, I I liked Danny's first appearance when um, he turned up and uh, told his kids that their mother was dead to get their attention and then said actually yes. we're getting a divorce um, yeah. <laughs> which really tickled me um, and I liked it a lot <laughs> Um, I, I do kind of wonder, because I don't like Paul, I didn't love it, how on earth it's gone on for so many episodes. Um, and then I watched the musical one that you mentioned, Rob, um, earlier today, actually, um, and loved it. So if they're getting more experimental like that, I'd be really interested to see to see more of the later stuff, I think. Yeah, I, I think that is really interesting, because I think the experiment it seems to be doing with this series is because I think I sort of jotted down that in the, in the first series we cover uh, racism, guns, Nazi memorabilia, pretending to be in a wheelchair, um, sex with underage people, etc. And you're like, okay, that's that's experiment, but actually I'm not that bothered about that. And it's, it is interesting, actually, because I didn't feel particularly shocked by any of it. I felt sort of annoyed that these characters were were basically dicks that didn't really get a comeuppance a lot of the time. Which yeah. is probably part of it as well. There's there's no narrative payoff where they kind of get it, but the the experiment seems to be about the subject matter rather than the the comedy. And I I think other than the what the one bit that I actually felt I did feel shocked by and I did feel I've been oh I've been taken in and and shocked by the thing is where they keep calling uh, someone in the bar a, a tranny that then I think one of them sleeps with the one at Mac maybe. Um, and there's a whole thing with that, and the fact that they were kind of using using that term, and again, there seemed to be no downside to that. Uh, that was the one bit that did me make me feel a bit uncomfortable. Whereas the rest of it was just all right, okay. We're doing things that are shocking because they're shocking. Fine. Could yeah. that be? A, could that be a? It hasn't aged well thing. That first season, I'm just looking here, is was 2005. It's actually quite a long time ago. And it's it's an interesting question, that not it? Because even if it is um, a product of its time, even though its time was only like 13 years ago. Um, does that make it okay? Like, even if it was acceptable to say things then, I guess we're still entitled not to like it very much because of the norms of today. It's almost like the is it um, Warner Brothers uh, or one of the one of the cartoon uh, like Looney Tunes or something? Some of those cartoons have the original ones have notices on the screen beforehand saying that, that some of the some of the situations and language used in this uh, cartoon were normal at the time but no longer acceptable were presenting them in their original form yeah because i think it's because it says to 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 edit that stuff out would be to pretend those prejudices doesn't exist where yeah. uh, that didn't didn't exist whereas because the simpsons have had a lot of stick for this recently with with a poo that they've kind of given it more of a shrug treatment rather than a oh you can't really do this treatment. yeah i think uh I mean, for for an entirely white cast of white writers to to tackle race in the first episode really was them laying out what kind of a series this was going to be. 
and yet, so I think the musical episode that you were talking about, Sarah, um, I think that's the, the first episode of season 12, just looking here, and that's the gang turned black. And that was yeah. a, that was an episode which again dealt with race, but this time it was it was them, I, I think it was the premise, was it, it was some sort of fever dream, but they were living their lives uh, as black people in Philadelphia. And I think they, they handled it uh, pretty well. I think I think they... It gave it gave these really awful characters the chance to uh, actually have some empathy for the first time in their lives because they were seeing that life is more difficult for uh, for African Americans. Yeah, I think it was it, it was really well done actually, and it's probably um, probably the fact that that was made I think last year is a factor in it. Yeah. Um, it felt a lot more kind of it felt like it was presented in a way that I was much more comfortable with, um, given you know what we know now. Um, and they had some really interesting stuff about police brutality in the states and and that sort of thing, and done quite uh, quite sympathetically, I think. Just a, a bit of a, a slightly different note. How many people do you think actually view uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia? How many US viewers do you think they get? Oh my god, is it really small? Is it like twenty five thousand? Not that small, but it's it is very small. It's less than a million. Oh, is it? Because no one watches telly now. It could be. It's also it's on FX, which is a fairly minor network here. It's not kind of up on up on ABC or NBC or anything. Uh, so for comparison, Roseanne, when it had its reboot recently, it was it was on ABC, which is one of the major networks. It got eighteen million viewers for its wow. first episode. Yeah, it's always sunny. As, as I think it very much counts as a, as a cult hit. It's it's not going to be something you can ever put on uh, ABC or on BBC One or even on Channel Four, probably. The audience number thing is actually interesting. I, I didn't know if you were going to go with a very high number because I was kind of slightly worried. And again, based on the first one of a bit season, so people feel free to tweet in and tell me that I'm an idiot and I've done it wrong. But I kind of worried it might get the Al Murray problem of there are a bunch of people who are expected to view this as a nuanced exploration of what is offensive uh, and find it funny. And then there might also be people who go, oh, look, they're pretending that they're in wheelchairs and they keep saying cripple, that's funny. Yeah, uh, so I, I wondered if it might get a big chunk of that kind of audience. And I think that's a type of comedy they move away from pretty rapidly. I, I, I don't right, feel okay. knowing that's the later seasons more that that's something they do. Yeah, but it but it's a it's a big hit. I know so many people in Britain and over here who who watch it and talk about it as that you know it's, there's a sort of sense of pride, which is where this podcast comes from of of discovering something on Netflix and being able to tell all your friends about it. Yeah, I I've only heard people talk about it. I I would say that. This this conversation, ironically, has been the least glowing terms that I've ever uh, heard it talked about in. Um, oh, really? Albeit, uh, in, in less depth. Yeah, I, m- most people who I've heard talk about it um, are enormously enormously pro. They think it, they think it's great, and I was kind of thinking, oh, maybe I've not just because I mean the thing that got me is again trying not to sort of give myself spoilers, but I had done a little bit of of reading about the early years of it, and Danny DeVito. Uh, joined it because he was a big fan of season one. So he watched season one and went, that's great. And that's when we think, oh, that's what does Danny DeVito like then? Yeah. I don't think there's anything awful about season one. Yeah, I, 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 can, I totally get some of the, the, the language you wouldn't use now and some of the premises were the Al Murray effect and so on. But I don't think it was awful in a not funny sense. I think it was, I think it was funny. No. I no, it was a good season. Agreed. I watched all of it, enjoyed it, and then Danny DeVito arrived and made it into a very good season. And then uh, in the later seasons, they've become more experimental. Yeah. 
And so, Rob, if you, it sounds like you've watched a lot of it. Do you think this thing about not having any sympathetic characters is a problem? I think that it thrives because of it. Um, and I don't think it's true that there aren't sympathetic characters, actually. I think we sympathise a lot with Dee um, because she's she's treated awfully by the others. Um, and we sympathise with Charlie for the same reason. He's treated pretty awfully, but kind of laps it up. But then, but then they're all sort of awfully treated by by all of them, aren't they? Because actually, that that's the bit I probably found funniest of the whole thing wasn't the treatment of the topics we're exploring. It's it's the incredible willingness to, despite the fact they're ostensibly best friends, the ostent- the real willingness to to fuck each other over. And, and D- Dennis is the only one. Who, I don't think Dennis rarely has redeeming features. I don't think you ever really feel sympathy for Dennis because he's just he's the smartest one, or he certainly thinks he is. But I think he probably is the smartest of them. Yeah, and, and he he knows that, and he uh, he he plays the others. He treats women awfully. He treats his friends awfully. He treats his sister awfully, and there's never any kind of sympathy because the others don't treat him that badly. Mm. Uh, that's that's another reason why I really struggled with the first series. Actually, Th- thinking back to, to to previous weeks of this podcast and and talking about Game Face and about Elaine's role in Seinfeld, I actually thought. Uh, with the exception of Dee, obviously, who's, who's the main female character, it it kind of series one seems to treat its women horrendously. Everyone is just constantly being macked on by these three absolute dickheads. Yeah, um, and <laughs> I, I, I don't know, maybe maybe that's of its time or something. But I I always get a little bit sort of um, Michael Fallon about this because it was a different time, two thousand and five. You could do what you wanted. You could kill a man in the street in two thousand and five. I find this thing, and we've touched on it a couple of times already, but. This question about what's acceptable and what's of its time, um, I think is really important. And what I think is a bit of a risk is that comedy makers start to become too cautious because of how something might look in future years um, and how they might be condemned Mm. for that. And I think there is really space for people who are taking risks and you know, saying things that are a little bit risky. Um, and, you know, I, I'd like to support that. Um, and I'm not suggesting, you know, um, that we should be condoning racism or anything like that. But I do think that there's a risk that if you start to hold things up to a standard that's relatively recent, actually, um, particularly in terms of Me Too and... Um, LGBTQ uh, rights and all the rest of it that have moved on quite quite quickly in recent years. Um, I think there's a real risk that you lose some quite interesting and thoughtful stuff in the process. Yeah, no, there's a, absolutely. I think there's a it gets wrapped up with hypocrisy as well. If if we're now, you know, if in 2005 we would have laughed at some of these jokes and, and in and in 2018 we wouldn't, then that's just hypocritical of us. Yeah, to yeah. You know, you can't condemn them for writing them if we would have laughed at the time. No. I mean, I, yeah. I think we've tried to wrap this little bit in in the other podcast that we do, uh, Rob, because it, it, in that, that is based on our, our perpetual amusement at magazines like Chat Magazine and, and Pick Me Up and things like this. And I'm sure we used to talk about some of the news stories on that as if as if the topics in them were innately funny. And I can't work out whether magazines and news have got more depressing or whether we were just more sort of jaded, horrible people when we were younger. Because you kind of do go, oh, 
I don't quite know how um, whether I would do that joke again. I I think it's really interesting. I mean, obviously, this is a this is a podcast about talking about and thinking about comedy rather than one that's innately funny on its own terms. Uh, what are you talking about? The... This is hilarious. <laughs> but um, but I do think sort of anyone who can think about it and can explain what it is, and their, their explanation might be wrong, and you might disagree with the explanation, but I the way I tend to see it is. I wouldn't have a go at someone who had said, well, this is why we took this a particular approach. If they can say something like that without it sounding terrible, if that sounds like a plausible explanation, I can kind of go, oh, okay, yeah, I can see what you were what you were doing with that. Or, and that, and that, but I think that also better enables you to defend your stuff in future when it's 10 years down the line because you would say, at the time I thought this, I have since changed my thoughts about that, but I was thinking about it at the time rather than I was just doing an easy laugh when I said you know that oh women can't drive or whatever yeah yeah and, and the apu thing it it's not you know it's not about criticizing the simpsons for having apu as that character because if, if people have only just started in the last few years really feeling it's a problem then <laughs> wait a minute is is that racist exactly uh you know but they do now have to reflect that they're writing a, a comedy in 2018 and not in 1990 with Apu, it's kind of um, the actor who plays him. It's a white actor, isn't it? Because I remember um, Goodness Gracious Me, um, yeah. I, which had a lot of, um, obviously, Indian stereotypes or British-Asian stereotypes um, and was hilarious, I thought. And I know it yeah. was um, really kind of um, appreciated by um, British-Asians, I think, from what from what I've heard. Um, and I wonder, you know, I don't know. It just feels quite, feels a little bit uncomfortable in a way to enjoy that, um, and <laughs> almost to celebrate that for giving voice to um, a minority group. Um, yeah. And yet, Apu is pretty similar, but as far as I can see. Um, yeah. But that's not okay. You know, but I can it's, see it's, why that's quite confusing. <laughs> it is, and it, so it's it it's it's. The obvious difference is that that appear was written by and, and voiced by white people, and goodness gracious me was a, was a was a parody by uh, British Asians about about British Asian life and the absurdities of some of the things that their grandparents and parents did who who were kind of first generation immigrants. Mm. But we are still the white people who are watching and laughing at, as you say, very similar. Similar jokes, the silly accents. Feels like a bit of a worrying situation if, as a white writer, you can't write a comedic character of colour. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, but I, but I do, but I do think it is interesting your point about who, what characters can you write? Because almost going back to some of the, the dialogue we've had about, um, about men and women. Yeah, for example, that that clearly is something where people on, on both sides of that divide have written good characters for both sides and no one really sort of, you know, it, yes, it's funny when it's badly done, um, but it's not good when it's badly done, but actually it can be very well done. So I think I think that is interesting. I, my, my view is if you can justify what it is you've done, and, um, you know, you can explain it in a way that doesn't ultimately fall back on, oh, it's because I think people from foreign places are funny. Yeah, then I'm 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 kind of comfortable with it. I I think if you keep asking the question, okay, so why is that funny to people? Uh, then it, not being able to come up with a good answer to that probably means they've not thought about it. I think the general rule 
that that usually works well is is this idea of punching up and punching down. Whether that's punching up in terms of power, or with the with the racism thing, more to do with privilege, right? White privilege. Yeah. Uh, for 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 a white for a white writer to 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 make jokes at the expense of uh, minorities with less privilege than you is very uh, challenging, I think. Yeah. Uh, and worth avoiding. Um, for goodness gracious me. There's a there was an argument you can make, I suppose, with goodness gracious me, is that there that these were, I think, second generation immigrants who were laughing at first generation immigrants. So it, so there's a little bit of that there, but at least they're laughing at, at themselves. Yeah, I think that's really important. It's um, it kind of reminds me of um, when I was a child, my dad talking to me about making jokes at other people's expense and sort of trying to explain why why you shouldn't do that (laughs) um and I really remember him saying you know Sarah if you it's fine to make a joke it's fine to tease someone but you have to leave it open for them to make a joke at you so that actually there's there's space Mm. there for that um and I don't think I really understood it at the time but I think it's kind of what we're saying now that actually it's okay if we're if we're making jokes in an inclusive way um, so you might be making fun of a particular group, but ultimately you're laughing at yourself as well, um, or giving them a, a way out of that. I think um, I think is really important. I think it's like what where's the heart and what you're saying, um, and as as Paul's been saying, is it that there's actually a not very nice route to it, um, or, or or not? There was a controversy. Uh, in the US in the last couple of weeks about uh, the, the Roseanne reboot um, and in one of the episodes they've fallen asleep in the evening and they wake up and one of them says uh, a line something like uh, oh we've slept through all the comedies about black people and Asians and uh, and the joke there is that is that Roseanne is on the same network I think on the same evening as uh, Blackish which is a very successful Emmy winning um, comedy about an African American family, and uh, Fresh Off the Boat, which is a which is a comedy about Asian Americans. What what caused some upset with the Roseanne joke, which everybody, I think, watching it would have known what they were talking about, was that they pigeonholed those two comedies. They said the only thing about Blackish is that they are black people. The only thing about about Fresh Off the Boat is that they are Asian people in a way that. If we can shoehorn, it's always sunny in Philadelphia back again. Nobody's ever going to go. This is just an, a comedy about white people for white people. Although it is in a way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but that's not how we would define it. I don't know though. Yeah. I sort of half feel like you might you might say, and we mentioned this before, that Game Face is a a female comedy in the way that Blackish is a black comedy. I sort of feel like both. When you're talking about a, a female comedy or you're talking about a particular racial comedy, um, that feels like a bit of a moment in time and it feels like you have to go through a period where you might be defining Game Face as a female comedy until you get enough Game Faces that it's just a comedy. Um, yeah. And I wonder if that's the same thing. One thing I did like that I think they do really well is when they all shout at each other at the same time. That, that <laughs> still made me consistently laugh every time they did the bit where it was just lots of people shouting. Uh, and I don't, I don't know how they did it. They made it really funny, but I very much did enjoy those bits. 
I also I also sort of wonder as well uh, on just in terms of of them. Obviously, you're not you're not meant to think these are great people, uh, and I do I do think they managed to avoid sort of well. I think I thought that they avoid building any of them up to be sort of an anti-hero. So there's not sort of a person who is a terrible person but is cool and and you want to be them. There's no Bernard Black from Black Books. There's no Bender from Future Armor. You do kind of think actually I probably don't want to be these people, uh, or at least I do. Yeah. 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 That's there, probably there's true. nobody. There's nobody aspirational in this. And yeah. And you see as the as the seasons go on as well. There's lot. There's lots of recurring characters that that the that the lead characters are causing permanent damage to. There are there are successful oh, that's people interesting. who are broken down and destroyed. Like they, they don't. It, I know from the very early episodes there are some really absurd situations like um, like they set up a bomb in the street or something. In one of, in, I think maybe that's in season two, <laughs> and um, it almost feels like they they're committing all these horrendous crimes and there's never any there's never any legal ramifications than doing any of these things that's the, that's sort of the absurdity of the whole thing but they do have social ramifications they they there is a there is a character who was a previously successful vicar but as a result of interacting with the gang they they're ruined they're living on the streets and, and addicted to crack and things like that <laughs> They, they they leave a trail of destruction behind them, even if it never affects the lead characters themselves. Hmm. Well, that's interesting. Well, I feel like this might be one to revisit once I've seen more than uh, more than the first chunk of episodes. But uh, yeah, I'll 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 be willing to to grind through some more of it and and see what happens because I like the sound of some of the stuff that you guys have been saying. Mm. Great. Well, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. is available on Netflix in the UK and on Hulu in the US. Uh, don't forget to get in touch with us with what you think about any of the issues we've raised today via our social media challenge. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Between Laughs and on Facebook.com slash Between the Laughs or email us at Between the Laughs at gmail.com. Finally, it's time for the next matchup in our comedy head to head. It's the Sitcom World Cup uh, Game 3. This time, two surreal medical comedies face off against each other and only one can progress to the next round. It's Scrubs versus The Green Wing. Scrubs, hundred percent. Scrubs, hundred percent. Scrubs. That was absolutely confident. Have you have you have you watched much Green Wing? Yeah, I I hate it. Wow, this is some this is something I've come across before where it's it really, really is a dividing line. Paul, what do you think? I have not really seen any uh, of the Green Wing. Based on the people who are in it, I feel like I ought to like it. I think I maybe tried to try to watch one episode and didn't didn't immediately get me. Mm. Uh, but I, I feel like I I should at some point watch it because it's got people that I I like in it. But I can't. Yeah, for for, for this year's World Cup, I I'll have to go with Scrubs, and maybe in four years' time they can come back strong. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so so Scrubs wins two uh, two goals to nil. Um, personally, uh, I would give a consolation goal to the Green Wing. I do, I do really enjoy it. I, I, I think season two was weak, but uh, the first season was very good. But it's interesting how these two comedies kind of emerged. I think at a similarish time, similar, both obviously set in a hospital, but both really very surreal with um, cutaways and so on. It's interesting. Great. Well, yeah. we'll be back next time with. Uh, if you've got any thoughts on the IT crowd, we know that's for sure going to be coming up soon. I'm definitely a big fan at the moment of 
uh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. So please let us know what you think of that, and hopefully that will come up in a future episode. Guys, have you got anything you'd like to nominate? I really want to get people's thoughts on something that I'd never heard of until I was at that stage when you're on Netflix and you go, well, I've seen the things that I know I want to see. Uh, I don't want to get into something that's nine series long. What else is there? And so I watched an Australian comedy uh, called Soulmates. I'd never heard of it at all before. Uh, it was interesting. I think there's some interesting things going on and stuff to say. Uh, so I am going to pick that one for, for my next pick. Fantastic. Sarah? Um, I think for me, in the interests of furthering lady comedy, um, you should both watch Fleabag, um, and it'd be interesting to hear what you have to say about it. Yeah, keen for that. Uh, it's on my list. Uh, I think that's good. Great. So tell us what you think about uh, the IT crowd, uh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, Fleabag, and Soulmates. Bye. 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 <laughs>